Please take your Bibles and turn to the book of Jonah in the Old Testament. Toward the end of the Old Testament, book of Jonah. Again, it's one of those things that we have experienced often over the years. God's timing, God's providence. Um, back in the beginning of December, I was on my personal retreat seeking God for what we would do during this year. And uh, one of the decisions was to uh, do this series on the Old Testament prophets during the summer called the Prophets Club. Uh, deal with a different prophet every week. And uh, back there on that retreat... As I put it together, uh, July 24th was to be Jonah's day, to talk about Jonah. Back then, I wasn't even sure that we would have a team going to Panama. Nonetheless, that the Sunday right before they left and we commissioned them would be the day we talked about Jonah. And so this is God's thing, once again, His providence and his working behind the scenes, knowing what we don't know. So I hope that it fits very well, and uh, God uses it uh, this morning. Would you stand with me? We're going to pray. And <clears throat> Fortunately, you know the story of Jonah pretty well, so uh, I won't have to go on and on this morning. Our Father, we praise you for uh, just been a good time to, to worship you to hear what you're doing through uh, Nathan and Shannon, uh, just to come to you with these 12 people we care so much about and are so thrilled uh, at your call on their lives to go and, and serve in Panama. Uh, Father, uh, thank you for the worship. Thank you for a chance to sing uh, our praises and reaffirm our trust in you and our desire for faith in you. And now, Lord, I pray that uh, you would take uh, this reminder of, of your servant Jonah and uh, just cause it to all fit together uh, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Like I said, most of you could uh, maybe come up here and give this message this morning because Jonah is one of the Old Testament prophets that we're quite uh, familiar with. He ministered uh, before Isaiah, who we're talking about on Wednesdays. He ministered before Jeremiah, who we talked about last week. Um, usually when you read a book about Jonah and his ministry, or you, you see something about Jonah, it's usually called Jonah and the, the whale. Why isn't it called Jonah and the worm? Or Jonah and the sailors? Jonah and the storm. Why isn't it called Jonah and Nineveh? Why isn't it called Jonah and the Lord? But no, we call it Jonah and the whale. We are so into the whale. And that's okay. That's okay. But we're going to just uh, review about Jonah today. And... Uh, I have a, a few questions to end with as far as application. In the first verse of the book of Jonah, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. 
the only place Amittai is mentioned except in 2 Kings 14. Keep your finger in, in Jonah. Turn to 2 Kings 14 where we have Jonah mentioned. <clears throat> and it's starting in verse 23, 2 Kings 14, 23. <clears throat> it says, In the 15th year of Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria, and he reigned 41 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn away from any of the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit. He was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Lebo Hamath to the Sea of the Arabah. In accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath Hefer. So that's about all the information we have about Jonah until we get to the short book that goes by his name. And we have the record of one experience in Jonah's life as a prophet. Some of the questions that are asked about Jonah, even these days, are first of all, was he a real person? Was Jonah really a person who lived in history? Um, the things that the book of Jonah say he experienced, including the great fish, is that real? Could that happen? Or is the book of Jonah just a short story, a fictional story that has a good message to it? People ask that question. But the interesting thing is that Second Kings 14 places Jonah in history places him in history because it names kings that you can find in the history of Israel. And we find out that Jonah was the son of Amittai. We find out that he was from a, a town called Gath-Hefer, which um, if you want to try and place it in your mind, if you're familiar with a map of, of Israel, Gath-Hefer was a little bit north of Nazareth if you're familiar with the New Testament map, which means it was in the area that the New Testament called Galilee. So Jonah is placed in Second Kings in the northern kingdom of Israel. Israel had been divided into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom called Israel. Samaria was its capital. Then there was the southern king of Judea, kingdom of Judah and the Jerusalem capital was there. And so... The scripture places Jonah in a real geographical location. It places him in time during the reign of an actual person, King Jeroboam II. And so scripture itself puts Jonah into history as a real person who ministered in a real place. And when we read the account in Jonah, we realize that's not the only experience Jonah had as a prophet. According to 2 Kings 14, he was already functioning as a prophet, and God was already using him. And so when God comes to him in the Jonah account, it's not the first time. It's not the only time. Jonah has been an active prophet 
prophet in history. If that isn't enough for us, and if we trust Jesus, we can go to the book of Matthew, chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. Let's start in uh, verse 39, Matthew 12, 39. Jesus answered, a wicked and adulterous generation asked for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Jesus brings up a prophet named Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, hmm, sounds like Jesus believed there was a guy named Jonah who was a prophet who was in the belly of a large fish. I mean, he's talking about it as though it was part of history. So he says, As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh, brings up the city Nineveh, which we'll see in Jonah's story. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment and this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. So Jesus is verifying something that the book of Jonah says happened in a real city called Nineveh. And then he says, now one greater than Jonah is here, referring to himself. So the Old Testament does place Jonah in history. It does place him at a time when the record of kings is available to anyone to see. It places him geographically in real places. Nineveh, we're going to see Joppa, uh, Gath Heifer, uh, all of these things place Jonah in history as a real person. And even Jesus confirms the fact that he really did live, and had the experiences that we see in the Old Testament. So let's look at those experiences. Let's go to the book of Jonah. Four chapters. <clears throat> We're just going to reveal the story as it's written, review for most of us, so we're not going to take a lot of time. Um, chapter 1 of Jonah. It starts out with Jonah being called by God, on a mission, probably not his first mission. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, and here's the mission. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. And so this is the mission. This is the call at this point that Jonah gets as a prophet, as a member of the prophets club. He is, as a prophet, um, a megaphone for God. He is a spokesperson for God. He brings the message of God to other people. And here, he is to go and bring God's message to the people of Nineveh. Now, if you had a map or you look in the back of your Bible, Nineveh was about 500 miles northeast of where uh, Jonah would be. It was the capital city of Assyria, a rising power in the world at that time. Nineveh was a large city, over 1,800 acres. The city uh, 
sat on. There was a palace, of course, for the king. There were two temples. There were 15 gates that you could enter the city through. It was a huge city. It was known at that time as the Blood City because the people of Assyria, the people of Nineveh, its capital, were known as vicious, bloodthirsty, cruel people. When they would conquer cities and nations, the things they would do to people were terrible. And you can read about yourself. I don't even want to talk about it in a mixed crowd. But that was the reputation of Nineveh. And obviously God knows that. And so on this day, he goes to his prophet, whom he's gone to before. Second Kings says God has used Jonah before. And he says, Jonah, go up to Nineveh and preach against it because of their wickedness. It's going to be a message of judgment. Verse 3. But the prophet who had up to this point obeyed and done what God told him and presented the messages to whom God told him to present them, it says, but Jonah ran away from the Lord. Kind of a foolish thing for a prophet to do. But he runs away from the Lord, and he heads for Tarshish. Gets a ride on a ship from Joppa, heads out across the Mediterranean Sea, Tarshish, way over in what's known today as Spain, as far as you could go other side of the Mediterranean, Jonah disobeys and runs away. The question becomes, why? Why would he not obey that call? Well, there's some possibilities, and then there's the real reason, which we come to later in the book. You might think, well, Jonah decided not to go to Nineveh because it was so far. I mean, 500 miles. That's a long ways. Uh, maybe he decided not to go to Nineveh because all of his ministry to this point had been in country to the people of Israel. And now God was sending him out of country to a foreign city. Maybe... He ran and disobeyed because he was afraid. He knew the reputation of Nineveh. He knew what the Assyrians were like, the kind of people they were. He probably was discerning enough to think, if I go to Nineveh and I preach a message like this, judgment, destruction, I probably will never leave Nineveh. I'll be hanging somewhere without a head. Maybe it was fear. Maybe Jonah had personally been touched by the viciousness and violence of Assyria. Maybe he had lost family to the Assyrians. Maybe he had lost friends. We don't know. Maybe he's just afraid to go there. In chapter 4, we'll find out the real reason. But at this point, those are some possible reasons. And so we know that in chapter 1, he heads out on the ship. We find out that there is 
a storm. Jonah is thrown into the sea. Why? Because it's Jonah's idea. He divulges to the sailors that it's probably because of him that the storm has come. His God is after him. And so he says, throw me in the sea and you'll be safe. So they do that. He's thrown into the sea. And the chapter ends with Jonah being swallowed by that great fish. And it's okay to call it a whale, all right? Don't be so picky that you've got to call it a great fish. Um, uh, Jesus even called it a whale. So uh, he swallowed. That's how the first chapter ends. Then we come to the second chapter, and the second chapter is all about Jonah praying. And it's about two prayers that Jonah prayed. In the second chapter, he's praying from inside the fish. He's just sitting there or laying there. I don't know, but he's in the fish, and he's praying. And in his prayer in the fish, he is remembering another prayer. He's talking about another prayer, which sounds like a prayer he was praying when he was flailing in the sea because he talks about seaweed around his neck and all this and how he prayed for God to deliver him. And so chapter 2 has to do with two prayers that Jonah prayed. The result of both prayers is that God delivered him. The result of the prayer in the sea as he's in the water was answered by the fish. God sent the whale to swallow Jonah. It was God's deliverance of Jonah from the sea. Saved him and answered his prayer. And then the prayer that's prayed in the fish is answered when God causes the fish to spit him out on dry land. And he's delivered again. So that's chapter 2. talks about two prayers Jonah prayed. Both prayers answered by God to deliver him from the sea and from the fish. We come to chapter 3. Jonah is back on dry land. And the word of the Lord comes to him again. And guess what? The mission hasn't changed. The call hasn't changed. It's exactly the same. Jonah, go to Nineveh, preach against them. Tell them judgment is coming because of their wickedness. This time, Jonah doesn't run. He goes to Nineveh. He makes that journey to enemy territory. And chapter 3 says he goes to this great city and he starts to preach. And he preaches about judgment coming in 40 days to Nineveh because of their wickedness. And the people start responding. And the text says the whole city repented from the king on down. Nineveh repents of their wickedness. And God responds to the people of Nineveh. And he spares them. He shows grace and he shows mercy. And he doesn't judge them. That's chapter 3. Then we come to chapter 4. I have never done what Jonah does. All right? 
I've done a lot of speaking in different places. I've done a lot of teaching of God's word in places. I've done a lot of presenting the gospel in places. And I've seen God at different times in different ways work in people's heart, and they have responded to his word. But I have never gone home angry with God for working in those people's lives. Jonah is mad. And chapter 4 starts telling us he is so angry because God has done exactly what Jonah thought God would do. And there we learn why he ran. He tells us. Chapter 4, verse 1. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take my life. It's better for me to die than to live. So why did Jonah run? Why did he disobey the call? Why did he refused to go to Nineveh because he knew God. He knew that if he went to Nineveh and he preached judgment, that God would do a work by his grace and by his mercy and by his compassion. And if those people repented, God would show that mercy. And grace. And God did exactly what Jonah thought he would do. And he's mad about it. Why? I think Jonah wanted Nineveh to be destroyed. I think Jonah wanted God to judge Nineveh for their wickedness. Again, maybe just because of their reputation and their wickedness in general. Or maybe he had been touched personally by that. I don't know. Maybe he had lost family or friends to the violent Assyrians. We don't know. But for some reason, it looks like Jonah wanted Nineveh to be destroyed. And he just knew that if he went there and preached, God would show his grace and his mercy, and he would spare them. And that's exactly what happened. And he says, God, that's why I ran. Because I knew you would show grace to those people. And I don't want that. They don't deserve that. And he even gets suicidal. And then he sits and he pouts. And God asked him twice, said, doing you any good to be angry, Jonah? Do you have a right to be angry? And he says, of course I do. I have a right. And then what happens? He goes and sits on the hillside. And he watches down on Nineveh, just in case God changes his mind when he sees the prophet is so mad. And while he's sitting there, God causes this vine to grow up and provide shade, comfortable shade there for Jonah. And he's so happy. 
sitting in the shade, so happy. But then after a while, God sends this worm, and the worm starts eating on this vine, and the vine withers and dies. And Jonah's sitting there in the scorching sun. And now Jonah is really mad again because it's so uncomfortable sitting out there in the sun. And he wants to die again. And notice the interesting way that the story ends. Verse 9. But God said to Jonah, Do you have a right to be angry about the vine? You know, that it was destroyed and shade gone. I do, he said. I'm angry enough to die. But the Lord said, The book ends with a question. It kind of leaves us with a question that God asked Jonah. The Lord says, you have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and many cattle as well. And here's the question the book ends with. Should I not be concerned about that great city? That's the end of the story. We don't know how Jonah responded. It just ends with God asking that question. He's basically saying, Jonah, you and I, are concerned about two different things here. You're concerned about this vine that made you comfortable and gave you shade. You're concerned about what the worm did to the vine. I'm concerned about over 120,000 people who are lost. In Nineveh. What a difference, huh? Difference in concerns. Jonah is happy about the shade a vine provides. He is angry about that comfort being taken away. Paul Tripp, author, suggested this. He said, sometimes what makes you happy and what makes you angry reveal what rules your heart. Think of patterns in a life. What tend to be the things that make someone happy? What tend to be the things that make someone angry? Those patterns might be revealing what really rules and controls their heart. God ends with the question. Jonah, if you're concerned about the vine and what the worm did to it and your comfort, 
shouldn't I have the right to be concerned about a whole city of people that are lost? End of book. Time to think, Jonah. There must be a reason why God leaves it like that. Maybe it's for the benefit of the reader. Maybe not only did he want Jonah to think about that question, but maybe he wants the readers to think about that question. So let me leave you with three more questions. These are general questions. I believe you know the specifics about each one. I believe you know the answer to each one. So I'm not even going to go into that. I'm just going to toss out these three questions. But they all come from this account of Jonah. Now remember, first of all, lest you get too judgmental toward Jonah. Jonah was a prophet of God. Jonah had obeyed God many times, most likely. Jonah had obediently brought messages from God to his people. God chooses to record one time when he disobeyed, when he proved his humanity, that just like Elijah, he was a man just like us. First question. Are you running from God's will? That's what Jonah did. He knew clearly what God's will was, what God's call was, what God wanted him to do, where he wanted Jonah to go. And he clearly runs from God's will. Doesn't want to do it. Are you presently running from God's will? Is there something right now that you know clearly is God's will for you? Because you have seen it in his word. You know it's what God desires for you. You have even been experiencing that prompting, you know, you know what I'm talking about? As believers, we have God's Spirit. We, we've learned what that prompting is. And yet, for some reason, you're saying no. You're running from that. From what you know He wants you to do, to be, where He wants you to go. Here's my question. How is that working out for you? How is that impacting your Christian life? How's that working out for your spiritual growth and your intimacy with God? The fact that you're running, saying no to what you know He desires. You know what the specifics are. I don't have to suggest any. You know. Second question. 
Are you angry because God is being God? Isn't that what happened with Jonah? I mean, he said it. God, I am so mad because you are being exactly who I knew you would be. You're being God. And I don't like it. Are you angry right now? Because God is being God. He's showing his sovereignty in your life, his control, and you don't like how he's showing it. He's acting on his timing, which is always perfect, and it makes you mad. He's being patient and gracious and merciful toward people in your life that you wish would just face his judgment right now. It makes you mad because they're getting away with what they're doing. Are you angry right now because God is being God? Third, are you sharing God's compassion for the lost? This, I think, was the issue. I think this was, in my opinion, the primary message of the book of Jonah. And it's pretty much presented at the end. Jonah did not share God's compassion for the lost in Nineveh. That's why he ran. That's why he disobeyed. God had compassion for those people, and if they repented, he was going to show that compassion and that grace and that mercy. Jonah did not share that compassion for the people of Nineveh. He didn't want that to happen. So the question is, do you share God's compassion for the lost? Do you have even a bit of the heart of God toward the lost in your life? Just a measure. Think about the unbelievers in your life. I'm guessing that our Panama team has compassion for the lost in Panama. And I think that compassion has been building, right, as you've been preparing. And that's wonderful. You need to go sharing the compassion for the lost in Panama that God has. But the rest of us, we're supposed to be channels of God's compassion and mercy and grace for the lost right here, aren't we? Do we share that compassion that God has? Are we channels for his compassion, his grace, his mercy toward the lost or not? This really reminds me of Luke 15. If you're familiar with Jesus telling those three stories of something lost, do you remember how that came about? Uh, Jesus was spending time with sinners. He was eating with them. And the religious leaders thought that was terrible, that he would spend time with that kind of people. Um, if, If you do the Daily Bread, you probably a few days ago read this story. But it's a story about a lady named Edith who didn't know the Lord. But one day, 
for some reason, and we know it's because God moved her, I guess, she went to a church service. And the pastor was speaking from Luke 15. And he was preaching from a King James Bible. And so when he started reading from Luke 15, he read this. It's what the Pharisees were saying. This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. As he read this in King James language, Edith thought he was saying that Jesus receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And the thought that Jesus would be willing to receive her, Edith, impacted her so much she went home and started reading the Gospels to get to know this Jesus who would receive Edith. And she ended up trusting that Jesus for salvation. Isn't that amazing? But the story in Luke 15 is the same as the Jonah story. These Pharisees, they don't care about the lost. They don't care at all. And the three stories, the lost coin, uh, the lost sheep, the lost son, it's all about God cares for the lost. That's what it's about. It's Jesus giving his reason for accepting these people and spending time with them. I care about them. I came to seek and to save the lost. That's his heart. And that was God's heart. And anger came into Jonah's life because God was being God. And Jonah did not share the heart of God toward the people of Nineveh. Do you? Do you share God's compassion for the lost? All the lost. Not just the ones that treat you well. Not just the ones that are easy to get along with. But the Ninevites too. I hope Jonah learned his lesson. I'm going to believe he did. And he went on to function as part of the prophets club. And God used him again. I hope that's what happened. But the important thing is, are you running from God's will like he did? Are you angry with God just because he's being God? And you don't like it? Do you share his compassion for the lost? Those are the questions we need to go and think about. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for this account. Lord, you could have just told us all about the wonderful things Jonah did, all the successes he had in his ministry as a prophet. All the times he obeyed you. And yet, God, for your own reasons, you choose to honestly share this one time when he disobeyed. 
I believe, God, there's something there you wanted us to see, to hear. And maybe you want us to consider that question. Are there things we are more concerned about than those who are lost without Jesus? Father, I pray that the things that make us happy, the things that make us angry, would be the same things that make you happy and make you angry. Guide us as we go from here and honestly answer these three questions. Amen.